I made my plane reservations to fly to this city that I've never flown to before, and then I sent the itinerary to Kurt. And he said, well, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da about the itinerary, and I went, doggone it, that's the second time in a couple of months I've made mistakes on a plane itinerary. And then, uh, you know, he pointed out that my, my plans include a 15-hour layover in Los Angeles. So I'm going to get to see one of the finest hotels in Los Angeles while I'm there. But even, even more nerve-wracking than making a plane arrangement, I made a hotel reservation for Kurt and I. I don't know why Kurt didn't do this, but in, in that great country to where I'm going and in a city I have never been to, you know, there are name brand hotels, and you can be pretty certain you're doing okay, but they're a little expensive, and so I picked this hotel and... In the words of one of my daughters, when she was asked whether she wanted to ride an elephant, it makes me nervous. (laughs) There are a lot of things in life that can make us nervous. Stuff going on in our country that makes us nervous, makes us anxious, makes us worry and fret. Stuff going on in the world that makes us anxious. Stuff going on in our own lives that give us reason to be concerned about the future, to be anxious about what's coming ahead. That's why the words of Jesus in John 14, 27 are so precious. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, Neither let it be afraid. The word peace occurs 88 times in the New Testament, 23 of those in the Gospels, where generally they are coming right out of Jesus' mouth. I don't know if you've ever read the Gospels with a view to to saying, what does Jesus personally say he wants us to have and to be? But two of the themes that keep coming up are joy and peace, joy and peace. He wants us to live in peace. He's made it possible for us to live in peace. And I just want to spend some time talking about peace and anxiety in the next few weeks. You know, anxiety, I guess I could talk about why you shouldn't be anxious, but I'd rather talk about why you can live in peace, because that's what Jesus offers to us. So open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 5, if you would. And let's try to understand the the very most fundamental part of of what it means to have the peace that Jesus promised, the peace he said that's not like the peace the world gives. It's unique. It's different from that. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. 
that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. This scripture tells us that we can be at peace with God, which means we ought to ask this question, why don't people have peace with God? Well, this, this passage essentially lays it out. You're either in your natural condition without peace or you're in the spiritual condition with peace. Look at verse 6. He says, the people without peace are those without strength. They're ungodly. Look at verse 8. God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, we've been justified by his blood. We will be saved from wrath. And verse 10, we were enemies. This This earlier passage here in Romans obviously lays the groundwork for what we're reading in Romans 5. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. And there's no fear of God before their eyes. Why do men not have peace with God? Because they are in sin. The real error of our modern society is not that this or that or the other should be okay and acceptable, certain sinful issues. The real error is that mankind is somehow okay and acceptable to God without a savior. Whatever my condition, I can live in my condition and you must accept and approve of me. The whole error there is the error of the people that Paul was talking to in Romans or trying to help them understand the The big picture, we need a Savior. In our natural condition, we don't seek God. In our natural condition, we go away from God. We live in sin. And God describes the relationship between him and the person who is in their sin as an enemy relationship. Now, I know for a fact that the people in the world don't like to think that God has any enemies at all. God loves everybody just the way they are. That's true. That's why he sent his son to be their savior so they could be saved and transformed into his likeness. He loves them as they are, but he does not love them to keep being as they are. Paul summarizes this truth here in Ephesians 2. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and by nature... By nature, we were the children of wrath. By nature, we are not the children of God. By nature, we are the children of wrath. 
no one comes out of the womb a child of God. Yes, we are his creations by virtue of his creation of Adam and Eve. By our connection to Adam and Eve, we are all his creations. And if you want to say we're his children in the sense that we're all the children of Adam and Eve, that would be accurate. But we're not God's children in the full sense of that term. We are born into the human family with the sin nature that pulls us to do unrighteousness as soon as we can make choices. And that sin makes us God's enemies because his standard is perfection. God's standard is not do the best you can and I'll grade on a curve. God's standard is perfection. Be holy for I am holy. In other words, the holiness we're supposed to have is the same holiness that he possesses. And I don't think we can imagine God with holes in his holiness. How significant is God's demand that we be holy like him? Well, it's so significant that he will send people to hell who don't participate in his holiness. At a day in the future yet, it says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. God's judgment in the end of time will be a twofold judgment, one on the condition of life and two on the connection with him through Christ. They were judged according to their works. Those who have not believed in Christ continue in sin. Continue in sin. And when they stand before a holy God, he will open the book and say, here's all the sin of your life. And then he will look at another book, which is the Lamb's Book of Life, and see if their name is written there. And of course, if they've died in their sin, they cannot possibly be written in the Lamb's Book of Life but it's a twofold judgment. See, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sinful works because we, those of us who have believed in Christ have been covered with the blood of Christ or cleansed with the blood of Christ, and all he sees is the person of Christ. That begins to get to the matter of how do we get peace with God? People don't have peace with God because they are not connected to God. How do we get the peace? Look here in Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God is the result of justification. I know that's a big theological term, but it's a term used in the Scripture, and it's one that you ought to know. It means simply to be made righteous, There's a little couplet that's been formed, just as if I had never sinned. There are some theological weaknesses to that. It would be more, it would be better to say, just as though I have the righteousness of Christ, which is what I do have. To be justified means to be made righteous. 
What are the results of being made righteous in Christ? Look at verse 1 there. It brings peace with God. And it's made possible, according to verses 6, 8, and 9, because Christ died for us. For when we were still without strength, in other words, that's spiritual strength, not physical strength. When we were still spiritually weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Verse 8, God demonstrates his love toward us while that we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 9, having been justified by his blood, by his death, by his sacrifice, we will be saved from wrath. And then verse 10 tells me that justification means I've been reconciled to God. If we were enemies, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more now, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. To be reconciled, we understand that term. Um, we use it in terms of a marriage that, that comes into crisis and two people go separate ways. And then if in God's grace they're able to repair things, they are reconciled. We've had the privilege of seeing that a few times here. It's a wonderful thing to be reconciled. There's a cloud between, and when the cloud is removed, there can be reconciliation. God says there's a cloud between me and him, and it's my sin. And when that sin is removed by the death of Christ on the cross, then God and I can come together And verse 1 tells me that I receive this by faith. Justification is received by faith in the work of the cross. Again, Paul summarized in an earlier part of this book. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. Let me put that in real plain terms. You are not going to earn your way to heaven. I hope you're a good person, and I hope you live doing good deeds. It is better to be good than to be bad. I get that. I get that there's a lot of people in the world who are doing a lot of good in the world. But clearly, God says, you're not going to do so many good deeds that someday you will stand before God, and God will weigh your life in the balance and go, hey, you're good enough. Come on in. Not going to happen. By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified. For by the law, the only thing that comes by God's standards of right and wrong is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus to all and on all who believe, for there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we can be justified or made righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a, another big theological word, a satisfaction of the wrath of God. You cannot earn your way to heaven because you are a sinful creature. You cannot offer God anything that will please him. That's why God, Christ died to satisfy God's demand. It's as though God has a bill in his hand. And the bill is the cost of paying for your sin. And he looks at you and he says, pay up. And you say, I can't pay up. And Christ steps forward and says, I'll pay the bill. And he dies and pays for your sin. And the bill is rumpled up and thrown away. No more bill. Now you can be righteous. 
God is satisfied that your debt has been paid. And in the words of Isaiah 53, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I've written a little summary statement here. The reason we don't have peace with God is our sin. The opportunity to have peace with God comes through the death of Christ that satisfied God's demand of payment for sin. The way peace becomes ours is through faith in the person and work of Christ. Now, many of you that are, that are here today have, no, have been aware of these truths. Some of you have not been aware. But here's where I want to start to really apply this. I've kind of laid the groundwork. And so the question I want to ask now is this. Do you have peace with God? Or I could ask it this way. What does it look like if I have peace with God? How can I know if I have peace with God? I, I believe that there are many people walking through life thinking everything's fine and, yeah, I'm not too certain about death. I'm going to die someday. But when we look at what God says is possible for those who have peace with him, we understand a whole new level of connection with him. Look at Romans 5.11. Not only that, not only is our sin forgiven, but we also rejoice in God. That phrase really caught my attention this week. We rejoice in God. What does it mean to have such peace with God that you rejoice in God? Well, it means, first of all, that you have an assurance of your relationship with him. That there is a deep certainty down in your soul. There's no doubt in your soul. Sitting across the meal table at Camp Gilead from a, some of the staff members, and one of them said, how long have you been a pastor? And I said, 37 years. And he said, do you ever doubt? And I think he was talking about the whole of the Christian life and so on and so forth. And I said, no. Now, I will say that to you not because I am something special. I, I fully believe that I'm, that I'm average. But I also see the truth of Romans 8. Turn a couple of pages. And I'm pretty sure this is why I don't doubt. Look at Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Daddy or Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If the Holy Spirit of God is yours, and if you are walking with God, the Holy Spirit is producing assurance. He's producing the kind of assurance that says, I know I am a child of God. I don't think so. I don't hope so. I don't wish it to be true. I know it is true, not because of me, not because of my sinless perfection, which does not exist but because the Holy Spirit is in me. 
When you believe in Christ and the Holy Spirit takes up residence, one of his ministries is to give you assurance that you're connected to God. So I ask you, do you have that kind of peace with God? The kind of peace that says, I am ready to go, I am ready to stay. At a moment's notice, here I am. Number two, peace with God brings confidence about eternity. Peace with God brings confidence about eternity. Paul alludes to this confidence in Romans 5, 9, when he says we will be saved from wrath through Christ. The Christian does not look forward to a day when God opens books and says, well, I know you've believed in Christ, but let's see how good you've lived and see if you've lived good enough. No way. For the Christian, this is our reality. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Confidence in the face of death. I love the way one songwriter expressed this confidence. But just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory and finding it home. Mm. Is that the kind of peace you have with God? I'm ready to go. The Apostle Paul The Apostle Paul expressed that in a number of different ways and a number of places. God did create humanity to live and not die. We have a natural fear of death. When we face death, we recoil from it. We go to the doctor. We try to stay alive. God has created us that way. The Apostle Paul so recoiled from death that every place he went, when he got physically persecuted, he knew it was time to move down the road. He never stood up and said, go ahead, kill me. I'm ready to go. He never said that. We have a natural fear of death. We recoil from it. That's great. But that's different from being afraid of eternity. It's different from being afraid of what's out there and being uncertain about what's out there. Peace with God brings confidence about eternity And then peace with God brings a desire to be with Christ in heaven. Listen to these words of Paul to to one of the great conflicts of his heart. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I can't tell. I am hard pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better 
Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And as he weighed this out and tried to resolve it, he said, I'm confident that I should stay here for your progress and your joy and faith. He was in prison when he wrote these words. He wasn't necessarily under a death sentence, but he was in prison. And he said, you know, I would just so love to go to heaven and to be with Christ. But I, I, I can see that I'm needed here. Oh, I'm torn between those two. Do you have such peace with God that you are torn between heaven and earth? Do you long for heaven and to, and to meet Jesus? Are you so, so comfortable with him and so excited about him that you think, man, I can't wait to see him? One of the ways that, that I know most, if not all, of those books written that say, you know, I died and went to heaven. You know how I know those are false? They don't talk about seeing Jesus and talking to Jesus. Oh, I saw this relative, and I saw that relative, and saw the other relative. I got news for you, folks. When you get to heaven and you see God, probably will fall down in worship, and internally you'll be going, how cool is this? You know, or something more dignified if you're older. <laughs> something less dignified if you're younger. Paul wanted to see Christ. He wanted to see his Savior. Peace with God brings desire to be with Christ in heaven. Are you headed home to be with the one you love? I went to my physical therapist this week for the shoulder. And uh, it was a six-month checkup, and he said... Uh, he said, well, what do you want to do? I, I think he was asking if I wanted to keep on with therapy, if I was ready to be done. I said, I want to get back to my regular routines, and, which includes uh, you know, uh, lifting weights at the gym and that sort of thing. I've been off of that by his prescription. He says, that's great. You can go. You're free, but I've got a couple things I want you to, to not do. Number one, no, no more military press. can't lift weights like this. You can do them like this and all kinds of but not like this. And then no, no dips like this and no wide stance push-ups. Oh, man. <laughs> you can see it. I don't even need to say it, do I? <laughs> I hate missing them wide stance push-ups. You know how I love them wide stance push-ups. But if you say, and he says, I want you to not do those things for the rest of your life. Ooh. That's the first prescription I've ever gotten that included the words, for the rest of your life. The rest of my life. You know, there have been some circumstances here in Ferndale in recent weeks which have made us think about the rest of our lives, which may not be just as long as we think it might be. Things happen whether you're 18 or 80. Are you at such peace with God that you're excited to see Christ now? You see, it's easy to be tempted to think, oh yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the Lord someday, way out there when I die. 
All I can say to you is to quote our missionary friend John Wright, who was hit by a truck and severely injured and had no memory of the event. His, his retrospective on it was this, you can die and not even know it. There's, there's one more really important benefit of peace with God. Turn with me to, to Romans, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 10. I know sometimes when we talk about life and death, there's a tendency to think, wow, gee, Pastor Dave, that's kind of a downer in the middle of summer. It actually isn't. Because I'm talking about walking through your day thinking, what's the worst thing that could happen to me? I could die. And then what? Straight to Jesus. Is that then the worst thing that could happen to you? Yeah. Hey, Dave. Got good news. There's preaching in heaven, and you're on the schedule today. See, peace with God allows us to walk without the anxiety about what's ahead. Me and him, we're tight, and I'm ready to see him. Some of you are probably beyond ready to see him. There is one more great benefit that, that's not, uh, I guess I'd say it's not a matter of life and death, but it is a matter of spiritual life and death. Look at Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Peace with God brings confidence in prayer. When you are right with God, you know your prayers are making it past the ceiling. In part because you know the ceiling is not where they need to be directed. And you know you're with God and you close your eyes and it's you and him and you're sharing your heart and the Holy Spirit responds back and you talk and you unload your heart and you can do that because there's absolute peace between you and him. I guess I would turn that around and say, and if your prayers don't seem to be going past the ceiling, it could be an indication that there isn't peace with God. King David summed up the the connection between righteousness and prayer in this verse, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Until you believe in Christ, not only are you at odds with God, you are harboring sin. To refuse to believe in Christ as Savior is to embrace your sin more fondly than you embrace God. Why would God answer the prayer of someone who loves their sin more than him? 
God will hear one prayer from an unbeliever, the prayer of confession, prayer of confession of sin and commitment to believe in Christ. I've had a very easy recovery from this rotator cuff surgery last December. I, I am not exaggerating like Ralph was when he had double knee surgery and said it didn't hurt. Because <laughs> we all know that's not possible. No kidding, first day after surgery, I could lift my arm up and so on, and, and it's really been an easy thing. It's been relatively pain-free in my shoulder unfortunately when I had surgery for my shoulder something in the process messed up my jaw and uh, I still have pain in my jaw six months later I've gone from doctor to doctor physical therapist to dentist to doctor trying to find a solution and I finally found one who I believe has correctly diagnosed and started a treatment which is actually going to cure the situation. I knew something was wrong, but I could not determine exactly what it was. Sometimes our inner man has something wrong and we don't we can't quite put our finger on it. And the question I would ask you today is, might it be a problem in your peace with God? God tells us, he challenges us through the Apostle Paul, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? If peace is lacking in your life today, I urge you to look down deep inside, do a spiritual gut check, and be certain that you're living in peace with God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will make your peace known as we come to you, as we believe in Christ, as we rest in you. Will you make your peace known to us? Father, in a, in a crowd this size, surely there are some who, whose peace with you may not be full, may not be real, may not be complete, and I pray that it would become that today. I pray that they would experience peace with you like they never have. Father, for those of us who have believed in you, help us to rejoice in the peace that we have and all of the blessings that come with it. I pray in Christ's name, amen.